Trigger on. Trigger on. <laughs> I love the contrast when you first came on the show. You were like very enthusiastic, like, Trigger on! <laughs> yeah, this time it's, um, may maybe? <laughs> tr trigger, tr trigger on? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, D-Roll, to the Duck Face Diaries. We are a World Trigger read-through podcast aiming to discuss the World Trigger manga volume by volume. I'm Wesley Cheddar. And I'm Hoven with an H. And this month, we're looking at volume... Why have I written 120 here? <laughs> volume 20, which contains chapters 170 to 178 and is covered by the anime in Season 3, Episodes 4 to 8. Uh, I'm surprised you resisted the, the urge to like uh, to like write 420 instead. I, I mean, I would have. <laughs> no, uh, apparently I, I'm, I'm, I'm writing something close to the final vo volume count of One Piece here. Uh, well, let's hope World Trigger can uh, reach such heights and volume, and uh, let's hope that all of it will be the OA mission test. All of it. <laughs> so today we celebrate a the return of a very special guest, and as you can probably hear. So he is the freelance letterer and touch-up artist for Viz and Seven Seas, I think you uh, mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes Seven Seas. Alright. Um, he worked not only on World Trigger, but on other great titles such as Pokemon Adventures, uh, Ask for a Loss in Space, Ultimate Muscle, we, we could uh, uh, of course admit that, <laughs> <laughs> Witch Watch, uh, and recently to strip the flesh, we are elated to welcome back Ace Cool Chrisman. Hello. What have you been up to, mate? It's so great to have you on again. Yeah, thanks for thanks for uh, having me again. It's always nice to talk about m my baby series. Yeah, I don't have anything going on. <laughs> Just work. <laughs> <laughs> Well, speaking of your work, I have been—I've just caught up to another one of your greats, Witch Watch, and uh, I can only imagine how much the baby comic transformation chapter, how much work that was for you between all of those different styles. It, it took a while, but that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that, but also the thing that made everything just so good in, in that chapter was uh, the little sketchy version of Wolf. He comes out and he's like, "Rah!" <laughs> I remember when um, when we first had you on, I was a little on the fence about Witch Watch. I wasn't really sure how I was going to feel about it. I have to say, I've really turned around on it. It's one of the Weekly Jump series that I follow the most closely. Oh, I'm so happy. Yay. Yes. Shinohara does have, I've always said so uh, ever since like Colton on, on the manga Mavericks convinced me, convinced me, it sounds like he personally came to me and, and, and said, read Sked Dance. No, I listened to it podcast and then I read Sked Dance, but Shinohara has a special talent, the talent of like writing his characters like real people and uh, it absolutely comes through in Witch Watch as well. Yeah, it's he has a really good command on how to emulate the pace of a really stereotypically anime conversation so that when he like subverts that or puts a silly spin on it it really gets you yeah yeah especially once you get to know all of its characters can we just turn this podcast into a psa for witch watch now please <laughs> <laughs> please please read witch watch it's it's really good and it's so cute i do appreciate um in witch watch as well uh Minor spoilers, I guess. Nico has basically a harem, but they're all like pushing the main couple together, you know? And I love that. Everybody's like, oh yeah, yeah, we need to get these two together. Come on. <laughs> yeah, no, she she has a con a commune of pretty boys, but there's only really interest between with, with her and one of them. <laughs> a commune? 
pretty voice. That's perfect. Yeah, that, that's honestly a perfect way to describe this series. Um, yeah, it's, it's very wholesome. I, well, at the same time, the comedy can s- switch a lot of the time, but between wholesome and cynical and, ah, it, it's so great. So great. <laughs> Uh, but we should probably talk about World Trigger. So today we are talking about Volume 20. Yeah. Uh, Sorry or not, done, of course, by Daisuke Ashihara, translated uh, by Caleb Cook. Touch up and lettering done by, I think we need no introduction here. Teehee. <laughs> oh, Christmas. <laughs> I'll just continue. I'll just continue the entire podcast in the voice mm-hmm. that um, Rolo T and Nick do when emulating a British person. <laughs> <laughs> Designed done of course by Julian J. R. Robinson and um edited by Ray First. We are of course going to begin by the volume summary, then moving on to general thoughts, then a bit of a revival um on Ashi Horror Commons Corner. I'm just gonna walk back on that cancellation from from last episode. <laughs> Do you two have any spoiler corner notes? I I guess we are going to ask about mm, your uh, thoughts on no. the current chapters, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that'll be it for me. I don't have any spoiler things relating to this volume. Yeah, I don't think I do. Okay, and then we'll move on to our Q&A for this volume. You two ready to go into the summary? Yeah. Yeah. All right. With Taiichi taken out, Yuma and Hughes launch themselves to the higher floor skirmish with Escudo. They separate Kakeura from the other combatants for an apparent pincer attack. Kage shows confidence, fending them both off while taking an arm from Yuma. However, it turns out to be a three-pronged assault, as Hughes assaults uh, as Hughes unleashes a half a volley of bullets he'd held back from an earlier attack, bringing the rival captain's Trion loss to a critical level. Upon Kitazo breaking through the wall to rescue his captain, uh, Hughes boxes him in with Escudo, making him a sitting duck for Yuma. Upon takedown, Kitazo seems to resort to a vain last-ditch shot at Yuma, when he in fact creates an escape route through the floor for Kageyora to exploit. Kage, following this, bails from Trion loss, the point going to Murakami for dealing the most amount of damage. Hughes and Yuma square off against Suzunari 1, with Osamu noticing that Hughes isn't surprising the enemy with curved viper bullet attacks. When questioned on this, Hughes reveals a change of plan, and urges Osamu to nab the rival duo from behind. He states that all will be explained after the battle, and Osamu decides to trust him on this. Uh, Hughes continues pull it, putting up rounds of Escudo, but Murakami unleashes Kigetsu Whirlwind to mow them down. Tamakoma seems to be on the back foot, but then Hughes feigns another Escudo wave only to launch himself forward with a picture frame, <laughs> uh, getting right up in Ko's grill. Uh, in putting Escudo on the attacker's back, he knocks Karuma away from him, leaving him vulnerable to an assault from o- Osamu. However, Ko launches his Raygust with Thruster at the newly arrived captain, knocking him away. He attempts to take down Yuma and Hughes in one fell whirlwind strike, um, managing to disarm Yuma in the process, but this is knocked to one side, with Yuma striking the Escudo on his back to unbalance his blow before it can hit Hughes, uh, who then himself deals the critical blow to Murakami. They they close in on Kuruma, but the Suzunari captain is eliminated by Ima from the floor below. Ima also takes out a leg on Osamu, upping his Trion leakage to severe levels. Korai and Okudera close in on Emma, luring him into a freefall where Azima snipes him, bailing him out. Only two squads remain. 
Tomokuma 2 is on the sixth floor. Uh, Osamu is missing a leg and he's running out of uh, Trion. Uh, people will talk about what they think will happen uh, outside. And Osamu bails out because he doesn't have much time left. In doing so, he joins the uh, support side with Usami. And Ozma Squad uses dummy beacons to confuse everybody, putting, gosh, I don't know, it looks like 20 of them out. And they come up on everybody's radar so they can't tell where Ozma Squad is. In order to take care of this situation, a little bit at least, Chika uses Meteor to just absolutely blast the the mall. And unfortunately slash fortunately, <laughs> she takes out Okadera with her explosion and... It's Chica's first kill. <laughs> Baby's first murder. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> Baby's first murder. And she looks oh, so, so shocked. And everybody's like, uh-oh. But it, it helps out and also takes out part of his foot, which is helpful. But Ozma, being the uh, strategy genius he is, he takes over some of the dummies and leads them outside in order to make it look like... Perhaps they're going after Chika. Osamu, kind of between a rock and a hard place, decides that Chika needs protecting as she is their firepower, really, and tries to get both Hughes and Yuma to go uh, protect her. But Hughes decides that this is just, you know, it's a feint and there's no point and he's not going to follow stupid orders. But Yuma decides to go out and protect Chika in the meantime. Hughes is uh, now going after both of Ozma's squad in the mall. Ozma sets up a very cool little trick where he puts his lightning on like an, a ledge with his cloak on it. Summons back the, the lightning so his coat falls down, gets Hughes' attention, and with Hughes' attention on the cloak, Ozma takes that opportunity to blast him away. Because now there's nobody in the mall. Chika can just blow it to smithereens. And Ozma Squad, the two remaining agents, bail out. Which brings the round to an end with Tomacoma with six points, which is uh, four ahead of everybody else. And having them tied up with uh, Kagera in second place. After the commentary, as Tomacoma tries to figure out what to do with the time... Osami wonders what has been bugging Osami this whole time. Uh, so as they do, Kikuchihara texts him, uh, congratulating him on his victory, uh, while still kind of managing to be a prick about it. Oh, too bad you don't send out too much! <laughs> oh, yeah, that's what he says. <laughs> but when Kikuchihara overhears C-Ranks gossiping, he calls Osami to inform her, well, Utagawa does, uh, that there is a rumor going around that Hughes is a neighbor. Uh, so that's what's been b- bothering Osamu. Uh, the Apto soldier has been sending out too much. Uh, so Osamu has Rindo call Natsuki to arrange a meeting. Uh, he asks the PR director to repudiate the rumor, but the Sly Fox says uh, that it's a mm, terrible idea. It's essentially a pilot saying, uh, this is your captain speaking, there is absolutely no cause for alarm. <laughs> of course it's going to cause alarm. Um, so the the plan, therefore, is to spread out a newer, more credible rumor. Hughes is a specially trained agent in Canada, 
um, who was recruited and trained in secret due to his high triumph. He was uh, supposed to fill in Jin's shoes uh, in Tamakoma 1, but after Jin sees being an S rank and came back, he was put in Tamakoma 2 instead. Uh, so Azumel will be framed as a credible source, but everyone will say that uh, they, they heard it from him secondhand. Um, Osama is impressed with the plan, but Netsuki is just grateful for Rise was willing to cooperate with him. Before they say their goodbyes, Azumel asks Osama how Chika's doing. He says that he's dealt with Hatahara before, and when she hit someone by accident, she uh, threw up and slept for a few days. Uh, she would never miss a shot again and always aimed for the weapons, so that's just how good of a sniper she was. He advises Osamu to just keep an eye on Chika and foreshadows the impending end of Rank Wars. There's only one round left for them to get the chance to win. So Osamu gives his thanks, takes the responsibility for causing border problems, and shares the plan with everyone who knows the truth. Then Osamu reveals uh, Tamakoma's opponents for the final match when they're back at the base. Ninomiya squad ranked at number one, Ikoma squad ranked at number four, as well as Yuba squad ranked at number seven. The next day, it seems like the new rumor is working out so far. Konami doesn't want to just uh, cook for four people, so she takes Osamu Chika and Osami out to dinner, and who should they meet there but the suits? Um, um, yeah, I, I, I mean, you know me, a squad. <laughs> so the girls immediately start messing with Suji, who uh, becomes unexpectedly shy around <laughs> them. It's, it's quite cute. Um, Inukai goes, uh, I'm also on the menu, Konami. <laughs> and Konami's like, oh, yeah, you're not fresh and innocent enough for my mouthfeel. <laughs> And Ninomiya's squad seems to be much more approachable than the captain, as they're able to hold an amicable conversation with the Tamakoma company. Uh, well, <laughs> Ninomiya j just sits there awkwardly, it's, it's quite funny. <laughs> when the conversation turns to discussing Hatahara, it piques everyone's interest. Uh, they reveal that just like Chika, her brother was kidnapped, and she wanted to get him back. Um, she wanted to be part of the away team, but uh, she she was refused because she couldn't shoot people, So um, and therefore she didn't make the cut. Uh, Inukai teases Konami about the rumor before Ninomiya reveals that they already know about Hughes. Uh, Inukai, in general, shows himself to be quite perceptive as he theorizes, given the low power of uh, Hughes' bullets, um, that the, they might be something else rather than asteroid. Before Ninomiya leaves, Osama asks him um, if he remembers his promise about telling uh, them more about Hatahara. Uh, reminding the readers that, yeah, there is more story to tell. And Inamiya says once again that they should come to him after they actually get selected. Tomokoma has a strategy meeting at the base, bringing everyone up to speed as to what Ninomiya squad have figured out. Uh, they come to the conclusion that they can still use the Viper strategy against the other squads, while Hughes, along with Chika, could do a turtle combo against Ninomiya in case of a shootout. Osama decides to have Osami, Hughes, and Chika focus on countering Ninomiya squad, while Konami, Yuma, and Osamu decide on researching the other squads. Before formulating a plan, though, Hughes presses Chika to answer one question, if in fact she can actually shoot people. General thoughts? Let's do that. Alright. Okay, uh, Ace, do you want to start? I, I really like this series partially because it shows Osamu taking charge with all the Hughes stuff. And I, I really love what he interacts with, especially management from Border, because he's very professional with them and you know like he takes responsibility for like oh i'm sorry that one of my squad mates you know is starting rumors even though like he has nothing to do with that you know he's a good boy and i love him 
Mm, yeah, yeah, definitely. The, the, this volume was one that that, uh, that kind of showed his growth, and it featured a lot of Osamu, and featured a lot of characters that, that you first didn't like, but, but then uh, found a fondness for, for, from what I remember, like uh, Kikuchihara and Ninomiya. Oh, I, I, I still uh, very much dislike Ninomiya. He can send a garbage can. But Kikuchihara, I love that he's got this, this like, awkward friendship. Like, he's very, like, tsundere in a way, because he's just like, I heard this thing and you did good, but, you know, it wasn't that good, yeah. you know. Ah, okay, okay, okay. How to guess if Ace is going to like the character. H how much of a friend are they with Osamu? <laughs> yeah, that is the number one, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I also love Azuma just in general. He's such a neat character and he's such a smart character. It's always interesting to see his strategies, like tricking Hughes with his jacket is just, it's a simple trick, but it's so effective. And it's something that, you know, I don't really see many, if any of the other agents that we know and love really coming up with something like that. And he's taking it. He's taking advantage of the kind of fleeting nature of Trion weapons. Yeah. In setting it up. Yeah. I I would like if in the future we saw people replicating that. Now that they've seen Ozima doing it, kind of learning from from that to to set up traps. So I really like that. And Ozima's just such a cool guy, and I love his uh his whole style of being a captain is like being a teacher. So I I think that's that's really neat. Hang on. I... I'm so dumb. Uh, I just realized that, like, you must try and soldier's name as a replica, and his black trigger, what does it do? It replicates other triggers. My god, I, I'm so dumb. <laughs> um, yeah, Azuma definitely, like, between his two matches, you get a very strong sense that his squad loves to turn it into a waiting game and have it so that that weeds the opponent out, basically. Um, and in this match, Tamakoma performed a lot better about that against it hmm. uh, than last time. I mean, I guess last yeah, time they didn't yeah. even really get a chance to get into the waiting game stage of things. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting match. Like, it's it's one where we have to assume Tamakoma is, like, on par with the other teams, like, despite their overwhelming strength. So they, the aim here is basically to get all the points, uh, to, to get to rank second early. And as we've got uh, one more match with Nintendo, Namiya left, so we can still kind of keep guessing as to how much they succeed. Hughes really did start feeling like he's part of the team, especially at the end when he like became so serious about earning points, so it's a great spotlight for him as well. It would be easy to like just make him an arrogant figure to challenge Osamu from within the team, but like mm. I, I felt that he became more than that. He has uh, his own agenda, his own flaws, uh, and he, his own fantasies, and uh, he's ruled by. Uh, so uh, he he makes mistakes too, like uh, just uh, with the thing with uh, with Azuma. Yeah, he, he points out Osama was outsmarted by Azuma, only to be outsmarted by Azuma himself. All of these characters are really do act or uh, organically. Yeah. So in the battle stage, the this really gives me Shinohara vibes. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's it does not feel like like he's only there to be a foil for Osama, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Like it, it felt like in the beginning when he first joined the squad. Yeah, he was just pushing back a lot. But now that we've seen him more and we can kind of know what type of person he is, it's just he's trying to do his part. You know, he has his goals, too, and his goals align with 
having this squad succeed. So he's he's doing what he can. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt like it was important to not perhaps even out this dynamic, but but, but to like uh, scale it back to, to re-showcase Hughes's mistakes here. He was always like one step ahead of his captain due to experience, while Osama still had the tendency to tunnel vision on uh, just one element of the strategy, like, like the Viper. I think, yeah, Osamu's sense of responsibility as a captain, it does come into focus a lot in this volume. I guess, yeah, because I guess I had a slightly less charitable reading of how he responds to Netsuki, because you have his, across this volume, his confusion at Hughes's sniper tactic, Hughes calling out that tunnel vision and that rashness uh, for falling for Azuma's bluff, uh, and then... He's assuming responsibility for Hughes's conspicuousness when the rumor stuff uh, crops up, and I think Azuma hi- highlights that he has this unbalanced n- nature for support, and I think that definitely applies here. He's quick to listen to Hughes's advice when he's confronted by him, but at the same time he blames himself for Hughes raising the rumors. So, which is true to him, like, either Hughes was right and his apology to Netsuki is unjustified, or Hughes was wrong in his judgement and Osamu was mistaken to follow that advice, but I don't think he thinks either one. I think he is just, mm. almost to a fault, quick to kind of fall on his sword for the for others around him. Oh, that's really interesting. I, I like that mm. that reading of it. And I think it's also just a case of the manga demonstrating a, a sense of consequence. It's like, o- Osamu wasn't wrong to allow Hughes to really go for it and get more points. There was like a clear benefit to their standing, but nothing in World Trigger happens in a vacuum, so the result needs to be dealt with. <laughs> yeah. Even so, we kind of see uh, like, um, in addition to like his growth as a tactician, we also see uh, like his growth in confidence, I would say, because like uh, he manages to, to actually re- regain his confidence quite easily after Kikujihara makes a dig at him for not contributing um, much to the match <laughs> itself. And, uh, and and he's like, no, I'll, I'll manage to do more wire strats n- next match. I can I can be useful. No, that's no problem. My boy is growing. Coming back to Hughes a bit, like, uh, the Viper was one element of surprise that, that Hughes could afford to save, whereas everyone already expected that, that he could be an all-rounder. Showing off the obvious here and then saving the other side of surprise for the next match was, like, an interesting move from him. Asteroid is usually bigger in power and, and volume than, than the other bullet types, but uh, try and usage so uh, given his large amount of try and he could believably pretend it's asteroid and like save this trump card i i like the uh bringing back to uh hotohara you know bringing her up again and getting more information and i really hope we'll see her in the future yeah and then obviously you have like uh, azuma shedding more light on her that raises more doubts about chica's state about about shooting people and sets up very nicely for the conversation Hughes is going to have with her. Yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah, I, I really can't wait till to, to, to we get to the next volume, because uh, like the opening of that is, is probably my favourite scene in World Trigger, so I'm excited. Speaking of like my favourite scenes in World Trigger, the conversation b- uh, between... <laughs> Tamakoma and Nina Mia squad. It's so funny. First of all, like it's incredible that, that even random conversations in World Trigger have a tactical edge to them. So like the way how uh, Inukai teases Konami about the like the holes in the new rumor by saying, <laughs> "Yeah, Chika has more Tryon than Hugh, so why aren't the rumors about her?" And then he catches uh, her mistake before <laughs> revealing that they already know anyway. <laughs> I I I love when people tease Konami because she's so volatile in her reactions. <laughs> And, you know, like, it's like she wears her emotions on her sleeve, so it's always really funny to watch her, like, react. <laughs> this is why, like, the, the commentary for the last match is so great. 
<laughs> yes. Another highlight of that um that grill conversation scene is just Suji is so adorable. He's so he's so shy. Oh, he's so shy. And and his comment like, "Oh, you're so impressive, Ikumo, dining with three girls like it's nothing." And it's always like, "What?" Huh? Like, this is normal? I love how everyone assumes that, that it's uh, uh, due to the fact that he has a hot mum. <laughs> yeah. Also, uh, uh, Chika. Konami's MILF radar is going off. <laughs> and Chika just eating rice. Oh, yeah. I only noticed that later. Uh, I do also like Osama's indignation at uh, Konami <laughs> eating her steak well done. What the fuck? What's he doing? <laughs> yeah. Funniest set of chapters with these characters since the uh, introduction of Ninamiya. It's it's great. <laughs> I also love Chika's reaction at uh, like she's going to blow you to smithereens. Yeah. <laughs> I will say the the passage of time in this manga it, it's it's a hell of a thing because because we've been focusing so long on this match and the build up to it it sort of threw me when they still had quite a bit of time in the day after the match and I think the match taking <laughs> yeah. place at a nighttime map also skewed this in my mind. Yeah, yeah, the passage of time in the series is very weird. I mean, like, it makes sense, but yeah, you know, you, you have six months on one rank war, and you're like, oh, <laughs> that's been 20 minutes. <laughs> that's great. Since we're going by the vault, it's really so nice to finally see the two-page spreads in color. And I did love the new one, and I, th I thought that Chica had a black trigger for a second, but it, it turns out it was just Black Hound. One of the downsides of, of like, having uh, so, so many, like, black and white signifiers in, in this combat system. I can see why, like, I think some find the lack of spotlighting of, of Kagura's side effect here, and how that affects him, a little disappointing. But... I really liked how this battle showed a more loyal side to him, with how hard he's trying to get Emma on Emma. I keep calling him yeah. Emma, Emma, Emma onto the away mission. <laughs> yeah, I really liked that that side of him and it being uh, attention being called to it. That he, you know, he's really trying to do this for you. Oh, it's so like big brotherly. I love that. It's kind of a good mot motivation for this, uh, since this match really needed to be uh, needed Kage to be nerfed in power, and him finally like caring about his rankings and having something to uh, to fight for. Uh, because of Yuzuru, yeah, it's uh, dare I say extremely cute. Yeah. <laughs> I have I have a bit of a nitpick. I found it a bit laboured that the commentators point out. Osamu's dilemma of what to do when he was leaking Trion, only for him to immediately bail out straight after. It sort of felt like the manga was building towards some kind of effort for him to escape, even a failed one, but then just didn't have him do that. It's like, I feel like that's, if you want to present that dilemma, you can like, maybe do it in the post-battle commentary or something. I, I hear that, I hear that. It was kind of forcing a tense moment when it really wasn't one, I, I could see that. I do have some Seno panels. I do love the a panel with like Hughes and Yuma landing on the floor mm. with Kage and Suzunari. That was so cool. The art kind of blew me away after yep. the series went monthly here. Uh, also, Kitazoe has like one of the best entrances. Him uh, like bursting uh, through the wall like the Kool Aid Man to like blast Yuma <laughs> and Hughes. That was so great. And just kicking his way. <laughs> so good. I love Zoe. He's just a nice guy. It seems just a good a good boy. And he's unstoppable. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah! Unless it's a scooter. 
Inukai commenting on Hughes' use of a scudo. That was a big mood. <laughs> That's a very f- odd thing to say there. I imagine him like wanting to learn all the hip cool phrases the the youth say, but never quite getting it right. <laughs> he, he he's like on the cusp of being from Gen Z, but still on the tail end of millennials. And he's like, yeah, yeah, th- th- this is the big mood what's a coinky ding <laughs> that's still something people say right yeah yeah, yeah d- totally totally azuma promises sub triggers to okidara and Korowai, and i like to imagine that in their just in their mind you get these rpg sort of skill tree branches <laughs> just suddenly unlock <laughs> I, I like how, uh, God, I, I don't remember which one, but one's like, oh, I'm going to use Viper maybe. And it's just like, well, we'll see, you know, if your try-on will allow it. <laughs> I just thought it was cute. Teaching style is interesting. Like, he's like, uh, no, I'm I'm not going to give you youngsters all the options uh, yet. First, you need to master your teamwork as attackers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's noticeable, but God, d- does Ashihara have a t- attention to detail? Because, like, there's this moment where Osamu has just, like, surprised Karuma by launching Asteroid at him, and then he switches to Raygust to, to make a thruster charge, and at this point his Bagworm disappears, because of course it does, after all, all uh, both Bagworm and Thruster are option triggers, and he can't use them at the same time. I guess it just surprised me a bit, because like it, it wouldn't be something that I would pay attention to, but Ashihara does. Yeah, same, same. I guess over in the over in the anime corner, because um, I, I, I watched the corresponding, some of the corresponding anime episodes, yeah, the anime version of this fight is still a little bit motion manga-ish, though this is for season 2 and 3 standards, so it's still not bad. Mm. One moment I wish was a bit better was when Kageura is taking on Hughes and Yuma. I think there's a lot of room for cool embellishment there, but it's just kind of one swift, not particularly fluid motion. But on the upside, on the upside, like if you don't watch anything from the anime, do yourself a favor and just watch the sequence with Ko trying to slash Yuma and Hughes in one go. Yes, this was really well done. Like um, when we were w- watching it t- together, I audibly gasped. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, yeah, there's there's also like. A little bit of color inversion here, like when Hughes stabs Ko, uh, the colors briefly invert to kind of show the shock, which is definitely an offbeat uh, approach um, for the anime. I think an- another big set piece moment in the anime was the Chica's meteor, and there was a lot of emphasis on her big eyes. Her eyes are drawn really big, and there's loads of close-ups of her like blinking as she's summoning it. <laughs> it was. Quite amusing. Um, <laughs> Chica's new. She wiped out half the battlefield in uh, the match took place in. It was quite something. Yes. <laughs> we finally found out what the dummy beacons do, and re-listening to the Volume 10 discussion, you talked about it then, and I completely forgot about that. But we still don't have any idea what the spy mode on the radar is. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Give us ten more volumes. Just Netsuki's little offhand comment about worst case scenario, we're gonna have to do some memory wiping. <laughs> <laughs> yes! <laughs> you know, as you do. Uh, Christ on a cracker, the gerbils of border. <laughs> yep. <sighs> one, one tiny little note. Uh, when Osamu is visiting Netsuki, there's a hallway and it has a cutout or maybe a statue of, uh, of Arashiyama. Arashiyama. And that just makes me smile so much. Like, oh yeah, he, you know, Arashiyama squad's the kind of the publicity squad. So of course they'll have, you know, stuff like that. But just seeing this little, you know, 
cutout or whatever of Arashiyama, like, waving hey or whatever. It just makes me laugh. I wonder if it's, like, from Netsuki's personal collection, but because, like, well, like the, the Ashihara comments <laughs> corner did establish that, that like, he uh, collects Voldemort. <laughs> There's a little sign. Property of Netsuki. Do not touch. Uh, see, this is a one-eighth scale figure of um, <laughs> of Jim. Limited in a bikini. Limited release. Uh, limited to 100 uh uh, figures. I noticed that Utegawa's nickname has changed from uh, I think it was Uchi at the start, then Uti, then uh, Ute, U-T-T-E. Um, I-, I wonder if uh, if it's like well, with a change in in translators, maybe maybe that changed, or maybe that the just Usami's variation. I don't know. Yeah, I- I'm not. I'm not sure. It could be the uh, the translators. But it, we we usually try to keep those you know consistent. So I wouldn't blame Caleb for it, but because like like honestly, who cares about Utagawa? <laughs> oh, I mean, I bet some pe- some people, but uh... no, I think I mean you mentioned like the, the nicknames. Uh, like, OG's influence has definitely been spreading across the base. You had um, <laughs> you had you had Asuma Squad's <laughs> operator call Kurai Koala. <laughs> Oh gosh! I think everyone from the squad uh, calls him Koala. I think everyone calls him Koala, honestly. Yeah, and um, I, I guess um, my last note is that, that a lot of people go to the same uh, high school as Tsuji, uh, Osami being the prime example. I, I feel bad, like, you should go, if you could, you know, like, go to an all-boys school, sir. It just, it must be so hard for him. I, I think it's in the border briefing file. I think it's in the episode we're going to be covering next. Oh, no, no, the, the one after that, but because, like, we've already got one episode in store, but then we're going to be releasing an uh, an episode about all the spreadsheets in, in the data book, <laughs> which sounds like terrible fun, but it's, it's quite interesting, I guess. Why don't we, we do it? We just do a bonus pod on all the spreadsheets we make for our D&D campaign, why don't we? <laughs> I I mean with with World Trigger, for me at least, the things that you would think would be boring always turn out to be the most interesting. Like, oh, there's a board meeting. Oh yeah, this is the good stuff. You know, like Rank Wars. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, this is really cool. But a board meeting? Hell's yeah. This is honestly me. Just oh fuck yeah, they're doing homework <laughs> and, and and it's about and it's about the future of the borders and organization. Ah oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> Yes, I love it. Uh, speaking of, sh- shall we move to the uh, the spoiler corner? All right, let's move on to the spoiler corner. Spoiler corner. So, so yeah, what are your thoughts on the homework, Arcase? Let me tell you, there's so much touch-up in every chapter. So many screens. So poor Caleb. Oh, he's been such a trooper. He has to translate so much. And usually, I mean, as as people who read, you know, the weeklies and monthlies know, you know, we subtitle all the sound effects. So there's not a lot of work on my end, like touch-up work generally for the monthly releases. But the homework arc has been lots and lots of signs and lots of screens with text on them. So... It's a lot of work. Uh, oh my god! Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't even think about that. Uh, like, it's a complete change of pace. Uh, like a lot of crunchy work at the start, and and, and then a pretty relaxed uh, on the volume release. Yeah, yeah, the volume release. Uh, I recently did twenty-four, I believe. Let me double check that. Yeah, twenty-four. I, I recently sent in the first draft of it. 
Yeah, it was pretty mm -hmm. cake because I had all these signs done in a way that I could just transfer them over. So that was that was uh, really nice. Mm -hmm. But I'm really enjoying this current arc. It's a little bit slow, perhaps, but I love seeing the mixed up squads interact with each other and, you know, figuring out everybody's strengths and weaknesses and how they will work together and, and use their knowledge about other people to their advantage. So I, I've, besides all of the signs, please, Ashihara, I love you. Stop. <laughs> um, I, I like this change of pace a lot. I think it's really interesting to see the types of things they're being tested on, to see everybody's reactions, see how people work together, etc., etc. Oh my god, yeah, I'm I'm just browsing browsing through through the last chapter, and my god, there's a lot of screens. <laughs> so many. Uh, all right, shall we shall we go into the Ashihara Comics Corner? Yeah, let's do it. So this is going to be a quick revival of the Ashihara Commons Corner, despite me saying no more last time. Everything else will be in the bonus episode. <laughs> it's a good opportunity to, to look at some character profiles. So from this volume, first of all, let's start with the Ashihara cat. Um, a bit of a disappointment this time, really. He looks nothing like Azuma's pose, just like his heart plopping out of its chest. I, I don't know if it's that great. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Um... Yeah, the, the comment underneath it. Compared to some author estimates of when a given arc or series will end, Ashihara is remarkably slight in his underestimation of the B-Rank Wars. <laughs> like, clearly he, he planned on it being a substantial arc from an early point. It, it's only off by a couple of volumes. Yeah! Yeah, uh, Ashihara does seem like a type to plan ahead. Meanwhile, Oda's like, oh yeah, uh, I'll, I'll finish One Piece <laughs> in, a, in a year or five years or something. <laughs> Yeah, we also get, like, um, in the character profiles we've covered, we never got to, to the point where we saw this, but we have some repeated character profiles for instances where they didn't have a lot of info early on, like Arashiyama, or in the cases where, like, the status of the character has changed, like Hughes. I, I love that they list Hughes as Hughes Tomacoma. <laughs> <laughs> Like Sans <laughs> <laughs> oh. Definitely from Canada. <laughs> I, I I didn't notice that that at first. I, I I think I got distracted by by Cronin's profile, which is uh, like just <laughs> I am Canada. <laughs> okay, okay. Side note: little bit of a spoiler with with from the spoiler corner. But Hughes's comment being like, "Well, Canadians can't be in a room with other people. You know, they have to sleep in their own room." <laughs> We're like, what? No, I've seen Canadians on TV and that's not how it is. No, no, they lie. I'm Canadian. I know. <laughs> uh, that's not authentic Canadians. <laughs> yes! Uh, I love it. <laughs> One thing in Hughes's like, uh, description uh, confused me a bit. Uh, uh, so, so a horned Canadian with a grudge against Jin for using uh, that trap on him back during the invasion. I, I, I guess uh, it's not stated outright, but I, I guess it's uh, referring to Eskado. Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, that sounds about right. That trap was used on him, and, and now he's a classic uh, example of a gambler who treats others the way he wouldn't want to be treated, but because he keeps uh, trapping everyone else with Eskado. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the Arashiyama one was interesting, because it talks about how he um, he's made a trip to Kyoto with a bunch of the 19-year-olds in, um, in Border, and I feel like a, a running thing of this volume has kind of been... 
um, fleshing out Kakizaki a bit beyond just being antagonistic and showing that he has a lot of amicable relationships with other border agents as well. Like how how Arashiyama is is kind of a <laughs> he kind of becomes Arashiyama's parental figure <laughs> when when they when they're stuck with each other. Yeah, I think you're confusing Kakizaki with Kagera. Um, because like uh, Kakizaki was always. It says Zaki. I assume that's that's short for Kakizaki. Oh wait, hold on. Oh shit, you're right. Yeah, but because like Kakizaki was always pr- pretty amicable with everyone, uh, uh, especially t- with Arashiyama, who uh, used to be on his squad. So ah, uh, t- t- too many goddamn names. Ah, my brain's fried. <laughs> <laughs> I-, I love how Arashiyama forces Jin to go on dog walks with him, yes. presumably to like combat the rumors that that they are the same person. <laughs> I also love that the most interesting rumor about Hatahara is that uh, she eats beef. Uh, we're talking a lot about rumors this episode. It's it's the rumor volume. Would have been nice not to have the weird body comment about Yuitsuka. Uh, seems to be a bit of a running trend of these character profiles. Yeah, that's uh, that's weird. I guess it's all the operators that that have the cup sizes listed. We we need we need a male operator. With his cup size. Yeah, the male operators who wear really, really short shorts or something. Or a, mi- or a mini skirt, you know. Yes. Yeah, why not? Yes. It's uh, it's the uh, ch- chuddification of uh, Ashihara. I didn't expect uh, Cronin to be such a big part of research and development, uh, like uh, even inventing a few triggers. The team of 21-year-olds that fears Yuri, I, I-, I suppose that-, that refers to beefcake and gin? Um, I-, I wouldn't expect... Um, I- uh, I didn't see, uh, I didn't see Beefcake as uh, as fearing Yuri, but but uh, then again, he's the only other one who's twenty one. So maybe it's like a a fear attraction sort of thing. Hmm. Also, I've just realized uh, Reiji is twenty one years old. My God. Shall we get to the Q and A? Sure. Yeah, let's do that. It's in uh, a whole another part of my notebook because uh, <laughs> I've written so many notes for the general thoughts. <laughs> Low Plasma two three one from Reddit asks, uh, "What is one aspect of World Trigger that you think is executed poorly, and uh, what would you do to fix that part?" I have a long, long general answer, uh, but uh, if you you folks want to get into something earlier than that, uh, then feel free to. Sure, Ace, do you want to go first? Um, I don't. I don't have a very good answer. I I think the rank wars tend to go on a bit long, but they're also very interesting. Like I couldn't think of what to cut in them. Yeah, I have a I have a similar one. I mean, in the last podcast we were you were on, I said one of my biggest writing problems with Ashihara is how the rank wars is introduced, and I guess I guess the a good way to kind of a good way to make good on to sort of fix that a little is would be to maybe be a bit more obvious and heavy-handed about what the importance of it is and how much they have up against them um i know it's not really world triggers in their nature to kind of cheesily lamp sort of announce this sort of stuff but i think it could go a long way to getting the audience in the right mindset for how how long they're going to be here and why. Yeah. Another thing I might change is there are so many characters. Hmm. Just a huge, huge cast. But again, I like having a huge cast. I think it's really 
interesting to see all these different types of characters. So... Yeah. Yeah, the things I would change are also things that I wouldn't change, so... That's my answer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, I've got a similar answer, basically. So, a lot of the time that we have guests on the show, guests who, uh, who I guess, don't read World Trigger as much, uh, I say that World Trigger is not a very inviting series, or that it's much better experience on a reread. And I'm really glad that we have that question, because, like, I, I want to talk about it some more, and I, I've wanted to for a long time. So... World Trigger is a series whose main hook is like six volumes in. The Shonen Jump <laughs> series already uh, creates some expectations when it comes to its pacing. And Ashihara taking his time to build his story is something that I will always greatly admire. But it does mean that World Trigger often has trouble attracting new readers or keeping the casual reader's attention. And I, I, I feel like this really uh, ties well into uh, what Hoven said about uh, building expectations at the start of the arc. For example, in the uh, Away Mission test, it wasn't really clearly said how much we're going to f focus on this. And I feel that in the case with a lot of the readers, it, it just uh, created kind of false expectations that, that we're just going uh, to breeze through this and this is not going to be important. Whereas this is this is something that Ashihara kind of wanted to focus on. Perhaps in part to have a, to have a break because talking heads is much easier to draw than like action scenes. But yeah, even so. Keep in mind, what we do is like the probably the perfect way to experience this series so of course very often we have positive thoughts on it ace works on this series <laughs> specifically we like spend a lot of time discussing it in in great deal and ashihara rewards close reading and detailed investment in his world to an absurd degree with world trigger it's all or nothing so if you find yourself invested in the setting, the, the character arcs, the uh, combat system, like the, the most minute character details, the structure of Buddha as an organization, you're going to be given what you want. And most of the time, you will definitely have a, a very fun time. But if you can't find the focus to like remember the names, to see why, why a minor adjustment in Osama's trigger set in the last match is the emotional core of the whole series, which <laughs> uh, also as a prerequisite uh, requires you to, uh, to know a, a lot of details about the combat system in the first place, you're most likely not going to be impressed. By doing this, Ashihara made World Trigger either the only thing you will ever read, or a thing that you won't give another look. I think it's a genuine flaw, and I think that it sucks that more people won't be reading it. At the same time, just like you said, Ace, I like that my investment is rewarded. I do want to find out more about these characters to see the banter in different environments. Uh, I do want to find out more uh, where Border is heading as an organization. I, I do want fun talking heads interactions between background characters. So it would be disingenuous of me to say that I want to fix this law. I, I don't. Um, World Trigger being like this, it's what makes me enjoy it so much. So in the end, I kind of selfishly have to admit that I would rather have it be like this than for more people to enjoy it. That I, I like that answer. That's mm, a good answer. Yeah. And like on top of that, I, I generally think fast forwarding the away mission tests, people seem, seem to want to do that, would completely break the flow of the story. Mm, I see one of the points I was going to get is that I think I think bits of it could afford to be streamlined. The big, the big one that sticks out to me is how, when they are announcing all of the squads. Um, you could very, e you don't need to show every single individual person being announced. You can like 
you can cut around a bit and show like as it's bunching up and then go to the mo the squad picking moments that actually highlight character. <laughs> I, I think it would make for a much better read. I would say yes, but um, once again, it's either uh, all or nothing. Either have n none of all of it, but like skipping the rest two days in, which is what I meant uh, originally, like uh, would be the worst case scenario. Oh yeah, no, I am not for skipping through the in like the actual test sections in bulk that that's not what i'm that's not what mm. i'm arguing for here i i have like other other kind of thoughts on like what bits of the away mission test i think are necessary and what aren't but we'll i, I yeah i'll get to those more when we recap yeah them. we'll get to it when we get to it <laughs> yes from g flugel of the weekly manga recap discord if core final fantasy 15 was in world trigger what would his trigger loadout be <laughs> I, I don't know anything of Final Fantasy XV, but I'm sure he'd be. I'm sure Ace would be delighted about that question. <laughs> Pence, if you could not face it. <laughs> uh, we kind of did uh, talk about like, like the characters from uh, Final Fantasy XV uh, as uh, as like a border squad and what positions they they would take. Uh, but, uh, I don't know, what kind of trigger set do you think Cool would have? Uh, I, his main would be, uh, Kugetsu, without a doubt in my mind, mm. um, because he's a sword user. Uh, I think he'd also have Scorpion, and, you know, I'm not 100% sure, because I, I just see him as a full-on attacker, you know, like, he just goes in my head. I mean, he, he's, he's a smart fighter, but I feel like just mostly be, you know, using his blades. I don't know anything about him, but I like the idea of uh, him picking all the attacker <laughs> triggers, like Raygus. You don't have any hand to hold it in, then I'll hold it in my mouth. Okay, I feel like I'm referencing something else. I'm not entirely sure what, but <laughs> never mind. You know, he he might also use um, Grasshopper. I could see him using that too to get around. Mm, okay, but but mostly, I think his trigger loadout would be like very much offensive, offensive triggers. And then we have another question uh, from Lam Ramayasha from the Monk Mavericks on Twitter, which is related to, to I believe, the podcast that uh, that you recently recorded with them. Yeah, just last night. <laughs> oh, amazing! I'm looking forward to listening to that. What squad do you think Chiaki from uh, To Strip the Flesh would be on if he joined Border, and what would be his trigger and activation phrase? Uh, I'd ask what his uh, position would be, but it seems a given that he'd be a sniper. Oh yeah, definitely a sniper for sure. I, I also feel like he would also have uh, Scorpion because cause he's a hunter, so he would also, you know, use it for little short in-person attacks. But for the most part, yeah, Sniper. His activation phase, I would like him to say, I'll cut you. I know that's a bit different, but it's what he says in, in uh, To Strip the Flesh against his, uh, I wouldn't say enemies, but uh, people who are bothering him. Add for his squad. I'm leaning towards Ninomiya. Hmm. I couldn't really explain why. I just feel like he'd fit in there. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. I I could see him being pretty good friends. I don't know about with with Nino, but with uh, Tsuji and Inukai for sure. It's it's interesting. He uh, he would kind of uh, as a sniper. He would he would kind of replace. Uh... Hatahara in that regard. Yeah, I, I don't think Nina would appreciate that. Hmm, interesting. I do like that that he already has his uh, stupid sniper hat, which is a little different from from every other sniper's. <laughs> uh, ah, he's great. 
I don't know if he wears it a lot in the manga. I'm just looking at the uh, at the cover um, th that I remembered, and yeah. Yeah, I don't think it really shows up much, but you need the stupid sniper hat. <laughs> Unless you're Chica. <laughs> and Emma, I guess. Anyway, sniper hats, please. Yes. Chica needs the protagonist dahoge. Okay? <laughs> she can't be having hats. Yeah, can't cover that up. So since we need to make it a Witch Watch PSA, so uh, I believe in the interview with you, uh, we, we asked you a question. Uh, what do you think like the most challenging panel uh, was for you? Which one was the uh, most difficult? Which one was the most satisfying? So we asked you uh, about World Trigger in that regard. What do, would you say panels like these uh, were in Witch Watch? <laughs> So the latest chapter in Witch Watch has a note uh, that Nico wrote to Moy when uh, they were younger, and it was really hard. Mm -hmm. It keeps appearing. Yeah, with all the bits of sellotape and stuff over it as well. Yeah, that looks like it would be a lot to correct. Yeah, like like placing the text was actually very easy, but the cleanup under it, and surprisingly, the color page it's on. I clean up on that wasn't that hard, but it's toned every other time it appears. But I'm like, okay, it just takes it just takes a while to to clean up. So that that definitely has been taken the most. Oh, also hard pages in Witch Watch when the student council was r announced with all their tropiness. Oh my god, yes. Yeah, they all had different like titles in front of them that like you know introduced them with their name and like kind of what their trope is and that was a lot of touch of work psychotic edge knife killer yeah uh, oh i cut my tongue yeah that's gonna happen <laughs> but which which watch usually has a lot of touch up we're releasing the volumes digitally so i don't have to do any uh sound effect touch up which has been nice mm -hmm. whenever there's you know like notes to do it's kind of it's kind of like a world trigger with you know the chapter's being hard for me right now because there's so many signs. Mm, I can totally see that. P please, please read Witch Watch. It's very cute. It it's quite wholesome. It's good. Yes, absolutely. This is a PSA. Go go read Witch Watch. We know that because of the reasons that that we've just uh, said so far. We know that if you're listening to this, you you've probably uh, read World Trigger several times. So so now please go read Witch Watch. <laughs> All right, let's move on then. So, that is going to be the 20th episode of Duckface Diaries. Woo! Yeah, we are we are four-fifths of the way through the series. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, we're in the 20s already. Now we have to make stupid jokes from two years ago, how we're going to bring back Charleston and, and other tropes from the 50s <laughs> and, the, and a global pa pandemic. What? What's that? <laughs> uh, you can find us wherever you listen to the, your podcast. Just search for Duckface Diaries and we'll be there. Uh, links to all the platforms are at patreon.com slash Cheddar. Everything is in the pinned post. That's also what helps me pay the bills. So if you want me to devote more time to making the show better, consider supporting me there. In return, you can get your name in the YouTube credits or a World Trigger Duckface avatar. Plus, you can help me reach more ambitious goals like reviving World Trigger Abridged. Now, remember that much like the neighborhood, the YouTube algorithm is a dark abyss of sorrows and woes from which channels like these never surface. <laughs> and what helps us navigate it, it's liking, subscribing, and sharing the podcast with a friend. On the YouTube channel and the same RSS feed, you can access to not only Duckface Diaries, but Manga Mouse, a, a collection of podcasts and video essays on other manga titles, 
short and long alike. On the same channel, you can find the introductory episode of Podcast Modern Adventures on New Retrospective, where we cover the Pokemon special manga arc by arc. I believe you start lettering uh, Pokemon Adventures from the fourth omnibus? I think the just the first fourth volume, so I don't... I thought it's probably the second omnibus. I, I started with the uh, the yellow arc. Oh, with a yellow arc. Okay, interesting. If you're interested, then uh, we'd love to invite you on to uh, to talk about that, maybe. Hells yeah. So yeah, uh, right now you can find it wherever you listen to your podcast, the introductory episode that is, except uh, Apple Podcasts, because Apple Connect is a bloody awful website. Ace, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Kaito Ace. That's K-A-I-T-O-U underscore A-C-E. I'm mostly talk about Final Fantasy 15 there. Moon Knight a lot recently. Not not a whole lot on uh, lettering, sorry. But that's where I am. Mm, Alright then. Do you have anywhere people can support you financially apart from obviously reading Shonen Jump on the Jump app and in the case of parts of the world that do not have English as the main uh, language on Manga Plus? Um, not right now. I, I, I make stickers and plush and eventually i'll have a shop for those but nothing right now just just please uh support manga when you can looking forward to that when you have that out do, do let me know and i'll uh, pop it in the description oh thank you hoven where can people find you uh you can find me on youtube at hoven with an h and on twitter at hoven with an h uh and on any list i think it's hoven with an h there too and yeah i'm mostly just kind of post rambly thoughts about video games, manga, whatever I'm interested in at the point. Um. <laughs> so once again, you can find all the links to that in the description or in the pin post at patreon.com slash Cheddar. Send us emails, questions, comments, suggestions at wednesdaydale 12 at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter and Duckface Iris or individual Twitters um, at Wednesday Cheddar, at Hoven with an H, at Kaito underscore Ace. Uh, a sincere thank you to Milo Jack Stillitz, who composed our ending theme and orchestral rendition of Girigiri, the first opening sequence for World Trigger. You can find his work at soundcloud.com slash Milo hyphen Jack hyphen Stillitz. What are we covering next time? Next time we'll be tackling volume 21, which covers chapters 179 to 187 and is adapted across the rest of episode 8 of season 3 to the start of episode 12. Alright, excellent. Uh, really looking forward to that. And yeah, uh, really looking forward to having you on the show again, Ace. Awesome, thanks. And thanks for having me again. This is always fun. It was a pleasure. And of course, on our World Trigger podcast, we have to end with the traditional message. Please read Witch Watch. <laughs> this was the 20th episode of Duckface Diaries. And as always, it's time to bugger off. Bugger off! There's the gusto. Maybe in this case we should say call Blimey. <laughs> oh, Chrisman, that's not a Final <laughs> Fantasy voice. <boys. laughs>